Morning, Skyline. So my name is Dan. It's great to see uh, each of you here this morning. Um, I will mention that the lack of slides is on me because I brought a new slide that I wanted to have in the message this morning and I brought it to the team upstairs and uh, they put it in and then there was software updates and reboots and drivers. and So I appreciate them doing the work to lead you in worship. I appreciate your uh, making your best guess to the words of the songs as you went along. Um, and uh, as we're opening the Bible today, I'll invite you, if you have a version of the Bible on your phone or a tablet or something, um, you can go ahead and get that out. I use Olive Tree. version is pretty, pretty common. Um, you, can, you can find those online. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4. So, um, but, so, took care of that, put that aside. And um, I, I do, I'm really glad that you're here today, right? This is uh, kind of Thanksgiving weekend, we're, we're having the run-up to Christmas, and I appreciate you coming to join and worship and give thanks to God here with, with us this morning, particularly those of you who've come for the first time. Maybe you're here visiting family and, and you've come with them. Um, if that's you, um, Jan already told you about the connection card, but hopefully we'll get a chance to meet um, a little bit later today and I can welcome you in person. But this is a, it's a great time of year, right? It's a time of, of family, visiting family, of eating a whole lot of food, of, uh, of giving, and of giving thanks. You see behind me, we're starting to get a pile of gifts. This is part of what we're doing for the community around us and contributing to um, a mission that reaches out to mothers who might be considering you know, what to do with their pregnancy. And, and this is a way that we can help help support the choice to uh, have the children and, and continue to care for them. So uh, the love mission, which we're preparing to do next Sunday, the second is uh, kind of the last Sunday to bring things in. So hopefully you remember that if you've taken some of the stars. Um, when you think about gifts, though, kind of what, what comes to mind to you? Think back to your childhood, right? There was that special gift, right? Maybe it was at Christmas time. Maybe it was a, a birthday present. Um, maybe it was a gift that you gave, and it was just, it just really made everything perfect for that person at that point in time. Uh, the, one, the one that comes to mind to me, uh, a little difficult to explain without a picture, uh, which is why I brought a new slide. Uh, when I was about seven years old, my neighbor down the street had this new electronic football game. It was awesome. I spent all my time at his house. And he was like 13 and I was like seven. So um, he probably wasn't very excited about it. I suspect his mom called my mom and was like, give Dan this football game so that he doesn't spend any more time at our house. At any rate, Christmas morning, open up, there it is, this electronic football game. My grandfather had built a little custom wooden table so it would sit in the table. It was fantastic. There wasn't any software because I'm old, right? And it was this metal table. And then you had these little plastic football figurines, which you could paint. Some of the others out here in their 50s and 60s will remember this. You'd paint like your favorite team, and then you'd paint your enemy team, right, so you could play against each other. And then you'd line them all up on this table, and you had basically a cotton swab was the football, and so you'd jam it under the arm of a running back or somebody. You'd stick it in there, and then you'd flip the switch, and the table would begin to shake. And the little plastic figurines would begin to move pretty much randomly, right? They're just sliding around on this table. And you're like cheering for the one with the little cotton ball that it goes somewhat in the direction of the end zone as opposed to some other direction. It was, it was great fun. I played that game all the time. I loved it. Until one morning I got up and stumbling out of bed, I stepped on it. And then after that, all the players just sort of congregated at the 40-yard line, you know, kind of a big brawl, throw penalties, but they just sat there. That was all they would do. Um, but I love that game. And maybe when you think of gifts that you've received or given, maybe there's one like that that kind of sticks in your mind. You're like, that was, that was a fantastic gift. I don't know if you wrote a thank you letter for that gift. I know I didn't write a thank you letter for the little football game. I certainly didn't write it to the family down the street that got this whole thing started. Um, we do tend to write letters for graduation gifts and wedding gifts, though, right? Um, and it's sort of a formula. You've, you kind of wrote down all the gifts on a sheet of paper, and then you got your stack of thank you cards, and you're like, okay, we got it. We have to do this. <sighs> Dear Aunt Sally, thank you for the, 
Look at the list. Crockpot. We will think of you every time we use it, which will be never, but I won't say that. Right? So, uh, sign off the next, go to the next one. So you, you, write these, you write these really formulaic thank you notes. Um, we're actually going to look at a thank you letter today because there was this follower of Jesus 2,000 years ago. His name was Paul, um, and he received a gift one day. And the gift was really meaningful to him. And so he wrote a thank you letter. But uh, being Paul, he wasn't just going to follow the formula and say thank you for the crockpot, right? Um, no, he's going to take the time to explain in this letter a lot of really fundamental truths about following Jesus, as well as what does it mean to give and receive in the body of Christ. So we're going to dig into that letter. It's called the Epistle to the Philippians. Um, so if you find that in your tablet, right, it would be chapter 4 of Philippians. So while you look for that, um, I'll give you a little background to this letter. So Paul had actually founded this church in a, a city called Philippi. It's in northern Greece today. At that time, it was in the Roman province of Macedonia. So sometimes if you're reading the New Testament and Paul says something about the believers in Macedonia, he's talking about this church or the people around them. And so there was this group of people there in this town that had committed to following Jesus. And about 10 years later, Paul continues to travel around. He's founding other churches. He's preaching about Jesus. And uh, in one town, traditionally Rome, but maybe not, right? We don't have real strong evidence of that, but, uh, but typically we think of it as being Rome. Paul was put in prison because he was preaching about Jesus. Now, prison is not a good place, right? Um, some of us have had relatives or friends in prison. Some of us have served time ourselves we know that's not a good place, right? Um, we don't want to be there, really. But back in Paul's day, 2,000 years ago, it was even worse. Right? The, no electronic locks on the doors. Basically, they would just put an iron shackle on your leg or on your arm and pound a nail into the wall, and there you were, tied to the wall with other prisoners. So health conditions were really bad. Cholera, typhoid, right? You're basically just living in your filth. Uh, food was bad or not even available. In, in some of the cities, in some of the systems, you had to pay the jailer to get food. And if you didn't have any money, you didn't get any food. That was just the way it was. So that's the type of situation that Paul finds himself, shackled to the wall um, in a really unhealthful area and uh, probably, unlike us last Thursday, not enough to eat. So the Philippians learn that he's in prison. They find this out, and they say, wow, um, he's not in good shape. We're going to send him a gift. Particularly, we're going to send him some money so that he can pay the jailer to get a blanket, to get some food. Um, right? So this gift comes to Paul, and um, Paul writes this thank you letter. We'll pick it up in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Because he starts this section telling us to be thankful because of Jesus, interestingly, not thankful so much for the gift, but thankful because of Jesus. Philippians uh, 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Regardless of our situation, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Do it always. And his, Paul's situation was really bad, remember? And he says, this is still going to be my life. I'm going to be rejoicing in the Lord because the Lord is near to us. He's near to us. Right? He, he sought us. He came from heaven to earth to find us, to extend his love to us. He lives with us. Uh, he promised us to always be with us um, in Matthew. So the Lord is near to us, and so we can rejoice in him. Uh, Paul's going to go on and, and make these statements or these promises that are true because we're part of the family of Jesus. It's, it's worth noting right, that this letter and these promises are specifically for people who are committed to Jesus. And uh, we don't make that a requirement to come in here, right, that you've made that commitment. Some of you are here today still kind of exploring what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is it like in a group of people who are following Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're still testing out what Jesus says. And if so, I'm not going to tell you this is the way to live. 
This is a message to people who have already kind of made that commitment and are trying to sing, what's the experience of Jesus in my life? But I would invite you to consider if what you see in this life is something that kind of calls to your heart and says there's something about living like that that is uh, attractive. Uh, So Paul goes on in in verse 5, Philippians 4, verse 5. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. See, Paul says the cure for anxiety, whether that's about our situation we find ourselves in, about our family, about our finances, about our health, the cure for anxiety is to give these things to God with thanksgiving. I don't think he means that I'm thankful for the situation. I'm not not thankful that I have cancer. I'm not thankful that I've lost my job. I'm not thankful uh, that I have a difficult situation in my family. I'm not thankful for that situation. But I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm rejoicing in the Lord and recognizing what I have in him and recognizing that he's on my side. And And because that's true, because Jesus is on my side... I can trust him, and therefore I'm not anxious about the situation that I find myself in. And then he makes this first of the the three statements or promises that we're going to see in this passage. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 7. We have peace. Instead of anxiety, peace. A peace that doesn't even make sense to the people around us. Um, Maybe you've even had that experience. I I had this happen one time at work. We were going through sort of a difficult situation in my department at work. And I had a person come to me and say, why are you so calm? Doesn't this situation bother you? Jobs are at risk. It's, you know, things are going on. Work is not the most important thing. Jesus is the most important thing. I've still got him, so I'm not anxious about about this situation. It's a peace that transcends understanding. What happens in this specific situation, work, family, health, finances, doesn't affect my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, so I can rejoice and have his peace. Uh, we're going to skip down uh, to verse 10, pick up this, uh, the next section where Paul's going to tell us that we can be content because of Jesus. So we're thankful because of Jesus, but we're also content because of Jesus. Philippians 4.10 says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. There he is rejoicing again. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but had no opportunity to show it. So what does Paul mean by renewed your concern? Well, very practically, he's talking about the fact that they sent money, right? That their concern from far away could be translated into warm clothes, good food, paper for writing the letter back, right? Now, these are all things that that group of believers would have provided to Paul if he was in Philippi. They would have been happy to share a meal with him, to give him a a place to stay, right? Um, we, we actually do a very similar thing today. I had an opportunity just a couple of months ago to go visit uh, Dario and Juanita Guerrero in Paraguay. And knowing that I was going to be able to go there, we said, hey, here's a chance. We can express our concern for them in really tangible things. So I ended up with like three suitcases full of stuff people brought, uh, clothes for Amara, special foods that the family really liked, right? Um, a bunch of stuff. We packed that all in these suitcases and we brought them down and, and it was great. We shared them with them. It was way more than they need, so they ended up sharing it with the church around them and uh, just cascading of, of rejoicing. But that's, that's like a one-off. Most of the time what we do is we gather money here. We do that through our regular offerings. And then every month we take a package of that money and we send it to Dario and Juanita. We're expressing our concern to them. It's the same concern that we express through uh, the clothes and the snacks, and the, right? But it's a lot easier to do when you just, you're able to send money and they buy what they need. In the same way, the Philippian church expressed their concern for Paul by sending them this money. 
Uh, Paul goes on in, in uh, verse 11. I am not saying this, that he's rejoicing. He's not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. We should take a look at that, right? Because from a material sense, Paul was definitely in need. He didn't have enough to eat. He wasn't in a healthy place to live. He was shackled to the wall probably, right? Um, He was in need. But Paul wants to make an important point to the Philippian church that our physical circumstances is not the most important thing to us. It is not our most significant need. No, the, the relationship, the connection, concern for one another is what's important, and particularly if we think about our relationship with God. Right? Uh, there's a, a phrase we use here when we're teaching financial classes. We say, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. God wants a relationship with you. That's why he sent Jesus because we can't buy that relationship. And you know this is true in your own families too. You can't like buy a relationship with your kids. You can't buy a relationship with your spouse. Um, we can't buy a relationship with God. We can't buy forgiveness. We can't buy peace. Right? But we can have this relationship with God when we trust Jesus to change our heart. And when, when Jesus changes our heart, he changes a lot of things the way we see life. And so Paul's able to say that he's learn to be content because of this relationship, both the relationship with God and the relationship with the Philippians. He's able to say that. He's been content. And he goes uh, to give some details of that um, in verses 12 and 13, including the next of these promises or statements that he makes. I know what it is to be in need. That's where he was then. And I know what it is to have plenty, which would have been other times in his life. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What a fantastic promise. That because of Jesus, he who gives me strength, because of Jesus, my contentment is no longer dependent on my circumstances. In, In the world around us, and the way we were raised, right? What we do naturally, if you will, is we pursue contentment or we pursue happiness. Here in this country, we even put that in our declaration, right? It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are things that, in theory, we're all um, allowed. And we've taken the pursuit of happiness quite seriously in this country as a result. But it's a false promise. The world says you can satisfy that pursuit for happiness or that pursuit for contentment through stuff. Um, I don't normally watch a lot of TV, but I had a couple days off, so I watched some football games. Sorry to the Michigan fans. Kelechi, not bad. So So, so I watched some football games. And football games, as you know, are a vehicle to show you advertisements. That's why they exist on TV. Um, That's why you don't have to pay for them, right? So they show you advertisements. And in these advertisements, they're trying really hard to convince you that you will be happy if you buy this thing, a truck, a car, a piece of jewelry, a beer, right? That if you buy that thing, you'll be happy. And we know it's not true, but the advertisements are very seductive, right? They drag you in and say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I want that truck. I want two trucks. That guy buys two trucks, right? One of the ads. Um, that'd be great. But... It, the reality is that there's maybe a temporary thrill, kind of like me in my little football game, but it doesn't last, right? It doesn't last. Trying to gain contentment through stuff doesn't satisfy. In Jesus, I have the strength to resist that false promise and not get sucked into that. And instead, I look to the eternal promises of God. Those promises won for me by the life of Jesus, given to me by God's grace, not something I earned or something I bought, and guaranteed to me by the gift of the very Spirit of God. And when I compare the promises of God to the reality of life in this world, then I can stop chasing the temporary thrill. I can stop chasing the temporary satisfaction. I could be content in my circumstances because I know what I have in God. Um, Quick side point. Take us out of Philippians for a minute. Uh, 
The Bible doesn't teach that contentment means sitting under a tree waiting for the ravens and the bunnies to bring you food and clothes. Right? That might sound attractive, uh, but ravens can't carry very much food. So, no, it doesn't teach that. In Genesis, we learn that we work to eat. And in Timothy, we learn that we are to provide for our families through our work. And in Ephesians, we learn that we provide for those around us in need through our work. Right? Again and again, there's a lot of verses we could go through there. Um, in Colossians, particularly, to kind of wrap it up, we learn that we are to work like Jesus was the owner of our company. Like he's our ultimate boss. Right? So, um, so contentment is not that sort of picture of just sitting there under the tree, you know, um, napping. But rather, it's this contentment of the heart that we're not allowing our work or our pursuit of money or our pursuit of stuff to drive us, that we, we have contentment because of Jesus, and then we act in the world in a rational way. Um, so that's the promise, that I can do this through him who strengthens me. I can live differently than the world because of Jesus. I can live content because of Jesus. And finally, Paul says, to be generous because of Jesus. Now, skipping down to verse 17 of Philippians 4, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. This is a, sort of a funny statement, right? I don't, even, I don't even want your gift, really. Although he's thankful for it and he's able to use it. Um, what he desires is this engagement with the Philippian church. Paul reminds us that we are all co-workers in the mission of Jesus on this earth. Some of us go, like Paul or like Dario and Juanita. Some of us go to a place to serve. Some of us give financially. Some of us do lots of other things. We serve in this community or we serve here in this uh, family. But we're all working together in the mission. And the joy, or even the reward, if you will, the joy of seeing lives changed, families united, the trajectory of our children changed because of Jesus. Um, that's shared by all of us. So Paul's saying, I'm having an impact for Christ here in this place, and you're part of that because of your concern for me and your connection. He goes on in verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And clearly, Paul is thankful for the gift. I can't remember ever writing a thank you note where I said, this is a fragrant offering, unless perhaps it was one of those stinky candles, right? But um, he uses this phrase, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And now this phrase would bring to the mind of his readers, at least, they'd go all the way back to the story of Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis. And Cain brought an offering that was not acceptable to God. And, hmm, that's a little bit odd, you might say. You might think to yourself, haven't we spent a lot of time here at Skyline telling you that we live under grace? That we don't, there's no sacrifice that's required from you? Aren't we already everything God wants us to be in Jesus Christ? So, what is it about this gift that makes it acceptable or non-acceptable? Is this some standard? Some Christians meet it and other Christians don't, right? Is it, what does he mean by that? Well, Paul doesn't specify a detail of what he means by it in this letter to the Philippians, but fortunately, he writes a letter to another church, the Corinthians, and he explains a bit more about this same phrase. So in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, Paul says, If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So he defines what makes a gift acceptable by these two things. First, that it's willing. I mean, a gift by its very nature can't be compelled, it can't be a requirement, it can't be some standard. Right? Everybody must give a gift or you can't get in. Um, my daughter uh, goes to a college down in, in Georgia, and they have an annual tradition on the birthday of the founder of that college, where um, you do kind of a funny march. You can find that march on YouTube if you really want to. I won't try to explain the march. But in the tradition, you are required to bring a gift. You bring one penny for each year of your age. So there's much rustling about at the college before this march to make sure everybody has pennies. 
Um, and then you bring these pennies and you put them in a basket. It's a required gift. So in a way, it's a gift, but not really, right? Um, that's not true here, what we're talking about here in both Philippians and Corinthians. The gift is not compelled. It's not required. It springs from our heart. It comes because we love to give. Having that impact on other people, being able to give that gift that you see makes a difference, like these that we have here behind me. Right? These will make a difference in the lives of those families, those little boys and girls. Uh, we love to give. So it springs from willingness. And the second thing is it comes from what we have. Now, you could think of this in a sense of proportionality. If someone has a lot, they can give a lot, sort of numerically speaking. And if someone has relatively little, they can give relatively little, numerically speaking. But I think it goes farther than just a ratio of percentage. I think God is telling us through Paul's letter not to create fantasies about the future. The, we've probably all done this, right? If I win the lottery, these are all the good things I will do with that money. Or maybe more rationally than playing the lottery, once I pay off my student loans, once I pay off my car, once I pay off my debt, well then, then I will do all these good things with the money that I have then, right? Well, the passage in Corinthians suggests, don't, don't do that. Give from what you actually have today. And so I think that idea of acceptable is perfectly consistent with the idea that we live by grace. Nothing is required. It's based on our willingness. It's based on our heart. And it's based on what we actually have, okay? So that's acceptable. Let's go back to Philippians for that last promise in Philippians 4, 19. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What a fantastic promise. God knows what you need. But Jesus taught us that very practically in Matthew, right? And people are chasing after all these things of the world. And he says, slow down here. God knows what you need. And he knows that you need forgiveness. He knows that you need a future. He knows that you need a family. He knows you need love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that you really need. And he provides all these things through Christ Jesus. And more, Jesus says in Matthew, he knows that you need food and shelter. He provides those as well. But fundamentally, he provides the things that we need in our heart, the things that we need for eternity, the things that really matter. And to walk by faith in this world is to see those promises from God, to grab a hold of those promises that in Christ we have peace, in Christ we have strength, in Christ we have all that we need. And we take those promises and we put off the false promises of this world. Right? We put off off the pursuit of stuff, we put off the pursuit of money, we put off the pursuit of self, because those things, they just lead us to be anxious. They lead us to be double-minded. They lead us to confusion. And then we demonstrate our faith in God's promises by the way we live, being thankful, being content, and being generous. At this time of year, as, as a church, um, we do think about our finances. We think about our giving. And the, uh, the practice that we use, we call faith promise. And when you hear those words, I'd like you to think about it in this way, that we have faith in his promises. We have faith in the promises of God. And because of that, we can rejoice. We can be content. And we can be generous. Uh, I'm going to ask Chris to come and, and talk a little bit about the faith promise process. Thanks, Dan. Okay, uh, you're going to need your tools, and your tools you'll find in your program. You need a faith promise uh, uh, card, so get that out. There's actually one of those for each family. Usually it comes with the program. And then you'll need your, uh, looks like an Egyptian pyramid. I uh, need to pull that out. Every person should have the Egyptian pyramid. Every person should have one that they'd be able to look on uh, themselves. So if you have those tools, uh, you're ready for us uh, to get started. So what uh, is Faith Promise? Dan already introduced it to us a little bit. A um, couple of words that are really important to this is that it's intentional. It's intentional. It's not that you uh, see a need and go, oh, what can I do about that? Or uh, what's going on here? It's something that you decide ahead of time, this is the way I'm going to do 
uh, way I'm going to give to God. The second term is that I'm going to give first. This practice of faith promises, okay, I'm going to give, when, I, when my income comes in, I'm going to give the first, this first percentage to God, not what's left over. Leftover giving and faith promise are the opposite things. Leftover giving is I'm going to trust what the world values first and then give what I have left over to God. Faith promises, no, 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 I'm going to value, how, how did Dan say it? He said, uh, faith is valuing the promises of God, so by faith I'm going to give the first part of it more than the false promises of the world. Okay, so uh, the next is, we. Uh, so how do we do faith promise? Well, we use this card. And the goal of this in the next uh, two minutes is clarity. Okay, we want you to be able to understand how to use the card. Again, I want to re- repeat uh, what Dan said before. Um, if you're new to Skyline or if you're still checking out whether or not you trust Christ or not, this really isn't for you. All right, He wants your heart first, not your money. This is a response to what Christ is doing in our lives and what we see God doing around us. So, when you open the card, on the right-hand side, that is your work card. On the left-hand side is the card that you're going to hand in to the church. Uh, on the right-hand side is the work card. So after prayer and consideration, uh, we cheerfully commit to give, and you do this on a percentage. You work through, and you really want to grow in your faith in terms of the percentage that you give each year, that you can increase the percentage of your income. Um, Percentage of every week slash month. In other words, some of you get paid by the week, some of you get paid by the month. Uh, you can work it out that way. Or some of you love to think in years. You can go, hey, this is how much I'm going to make a year. I'm going to give this percentage of what I'm going to do to the work of God through Skyline Church for 2019. So you got a little worksheet down there where you can put in what your actual income is, the percentage you want to give. You multiply the percentage by uh, that amount. All of you who pull out your... Uh, calculator. I know you're actually doing this. Uh, Those of you who can do it in your head, you guys are awesome. Amazing. Um, So you you fill that out. That's the process. You fill that out. And then to, to turn the card in, you put your name on top. Now, the reason you put your name on top is not because we go around going, ooh, how much are they going to give and how much are they going to give? I actually don't know. I don't look at this list uh, on purpose uh, because we don't want, we don't want to interact with each other based on that. But we have to know, sometimes people turn in more than one card. We have to know the names. Otherwise, the process kind of falls apart. Okay? That's why the names are there. So after prayer and consideration, we cheerfully commit. And so then you put in the amount of money that you're going to give every, whether it be week, month. And you could add in year if you like to think in terms of years. That's how we do the card. Then we uh, add those all up, and that's our faith promise for the year. Uh, the why is, uh, Dan talked about that, it's because we love to give. We love to give because of what God has been doing in our life. And this year we're going to do something a little bit different than what we have uh, done before. It's actually the first time we've ever done this with Faith Promise. Um, we're going to set a goal. Um, in years past, we've not set any kind of a goal because we really wanted to emphasize the part of, look, this is what we cheerfully want to give and that's what we're going we're to work off of. But we're going to set the goal for two reasons. One is we want to be able to grow in our faith. We want to be able to go, wait a minute, where were we last year? How can we trust God for more than what we did in the past? We want to be able to grow in what it means to give by grace as a church. And the second reason is I want to, I want to encourage more of you to become part of this process. I want to encourage you to begin to step into this process. Because for many times, many times when you, you come to Skyline, you get to know Christ, this whole thing is brand new to you. And so uh, we want to do that together. And so uh, this year, um, we're going to go, our budget for the, really the last two years has been about 400000 uh, our annual budget. And so we're going to increase that. Our goal is to increase that by 20% and go to 500000 And you're like, okay, well, what, what, what would that money be used for? A couple of things. One is just our weekly expenses. We have a team of people who care for children and do a whole bunch of things with marriages and all this different thing. And our team works very, very hard to make the most out of every penny. And sometimes that just wears you out. In other words, you're not able to be as effective because you're always worried about trying to make that next penny stretch so far. 
And so part of this is just to be able to give them relief, be able to give them more in their budget so they can do a great job and not have to stretch it quite so far. We don't want to do it too far because we still want them to stretch it, right? Okay. The uh, second thing is that we have some of our, our people who actually uh, should be paid. We should be paying them, um, but they're doing it for free. And uh, it's not wise to do that long term. The jobs they're doing are jobs that really should uh, be paid, and we want to be able to step that up. And then the third thing is our youth ministry has uh, been expanding. There's an incredible potential for that. And uh, so we're looking toward being able to, to save up enough money to be able to hire someone for that position. So those are the three kind of basic things we're, we're focused on. Okay, so how does this work uh, with your pyramid? This pyramid represents the 500,000. So if those of us who are in the uh, top, uh, top part there, you're, you're giving quite a bit per, per year, then uh, your challenge is, wow, can I, can I go to a bigger number? So you get to look at those numbers and go, hey, I'm at uh, 6,000. Can I go to 10,000 or can I go to 8,000? Now, that's on the yearly side, right? If you, if you think, I, I think about how much I give per year. You flip that over and it's how much you would give per week, how much you give per week. The pyramid represents the same thing, but you look on the side that you relate to. If you go, where's the month one? Sorry, we don't have the month one made up. But if you see me afterwards and you really need that month one, we'll make you a month one up. Um, but it gives you a chance to go, okay, wow, I was here last year. Where could I be next year? Where could I be next year? And pick that number. The second part of this is for those of you who've never, you've never done it this way before. You've always given, but you kind of give as needs come and, and kind of give maybe on what's left over. If you go down on the weekly side, the very bottom there, we need, I think it's 20, $10 a week intentional faith promise givers. Would you take the step of going, wait, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust God that if I give the $10 a week, he will take care of me. And I'm going to do it on purpose. And I'm going to do it first. And so I'd like to be that $10. Or maybe it's the $20 one. But I want to encourage you, don't go, oh, I can only give $10 a week, so it's not that big a deal. Listen, this isn't, this isn't about the money. It's about your heart. It's about you taking that step of faith and being intentional about it. Yeah, it's about you signing the line. Right? This is what I'm going to be able to do. And so I encourage you to be able to take, to take that step. Um, I would ask if the pyramid makes sense, but half of you would say yes, and I still wouldn't know if it made any sense to you. Um, so uh, when does this happen? Well, um, for some of you, um, oh, I want to back up just a bit. Uh, you may go, um, well, wait a minute. That's a lot more. Like 20% is a lot more. Like, how, how are we going to be able to be able to raise that? And so what we did is we asked the top 15% of our givers to uh, make their pledge ahead of time, right? And so that means we have 85% of us left to be able to give, 85% of us left to give. We want to hit 500,000, and from the top 15%, we have 267,000. So that means we're over halfway there already. So... For the rest of us, the other 85% of us, or the other 85 families, right, then our goal really is just 250000 And so if you jump in there, if each of you jumps in and becomes a part of it, we'll definitely be able to hit, hit to that place. So when do you do it? You, can, uh, you may have already decided and be ready to go, and you could, pass your, you could put your card in today. You just drop it in the offering at the, at the end, or we're going to be collecting them for the next two weeks, Somebody always asks this, yeah, but what if I'm going to be out of town for the next two weeks? Good, mail it in, right? Mail it in. Uh, you can do that some way, get it, to, uh, get it to us, and then we'll be able to tally that up, and then we'll report back to you uh, what's going on. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is a number of people have asked me over the years, well, is giving to the church the same as giving to the Christian radio or to a charity? And the answer is no, not at all. It's not at all the same. In the Bible, God always works through primarily the local church. That's where he works. That's where the work starts. That's where it's done. And there's some good things to be able to give to after you do this first. It's a biblical principle. And 
Uh, everything, it really does, in the kingdom of God, everything stems from healthy, strong, local churches. Then those other things can be out there and can be a part of it, but it stems from that. And that's where you give to first, and then after you've done that, that's when then you be able to give to the other, other places and the other charities. We've asked James to come and share a little bit about how giving has impacted his life and how Christ has impacted his life. So give a big welcome for James. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, Skyline. When uh, Pastor Chris asked me to speak here today, I was a little shocked. A big part of me was like, no, I'm the announcements guy. Let's keep it casual, Skyline. Let's just keep it cash. Uh, and another part of me was like, you want me to talk about giving money? Mm, I can talk to you about TV or film or the entertainment industry, but I don't know anything about giving money. And after a lot of prayer and a definitive conversation with my wife, which is honestly the key to every good decision that gets made in my life, I decided, sure, this scares me a lot, and I feel entirely unqualified to do it, so let's go. Now, I grew up in a church that had a faith promise program. As a kid, the prospect of a church on a yearly basis pushing people for pledges and money for projects and such kind of pushed me the wrong way. So when I got older, I knew the concept and even the benefit of tithing, but I thought that giving money to the Lord <laughs> was for when I had actual money to give. So I put it off, and then I got married, and we gave, but it was the last priority on the money list. I threw the extras into the pot, and then we moved, and I didn't go to church for a long while, and if you want to hear that very, very long story, we can get breakfast or coffee sometime, and we can talk about it. And then we landed at Skyline. We found a home two years ago, and two years ago, in the winter of 2016, I signed up for Faith Promise for the next year. And it's just like everything else. In January, on that first Sunday, I wrote my check. And that whole rest of the year, all of 2017, I played catch up. In February, something went down, I didn't have the money, it wasn't the Sunday we got paid on, so I pushed it back a week, and then I pushed it back two weeks, and then it wasn't in the checking account, and by the time I got to the summer, I was three months behind, and that amount of money just made me mad. And so here I am sitting, I'm behind, and then I gotta write a big check, and I gotta hand it over, and here I am frustrated all year long. And when I was on time with my payments, I wasn't content. I was relieved. And when I wasn't on time with my payments, I wasn't praying to God for supplication and help. I was mad, and I felt obligated. Now, here's the deal. I made it. By the end of the year, I gave what I had promised to give. And I felt so obligated to it that I had signed up for this year already. But it was purely out of obligation. Obligation is not the reason to do this. It just isn't. So let me give you a quick sidebar. When it comes to how much to give, that is entirely between you and God. Entirely. And every single person in this room does money differently. In our home, I handle the money. Jess makes it. I handle it. <laughs> God bless her. Okay? So when it comes to what to do with our money as far as giving is concerned, I'm the one that hears from God on that. So last year, around this time, when I was praying about faith promise, a number popped into my head. I didn't like that number. The number kind of irritated me. So I prayed a lot. <laughs> I prayed a lot for that number to change. So here's my thing with tithing. There's a big debate. Do I give 10% on gross or 10% on net? Now, wait a minute. My gross salary is this, but Uncle Sam takes all this money. Now, I don't know about that. 10% on gross is like that. I don't like that. 
So what I always did before last year, before this year, I mean, what I always did was I kind of gave like 10% of net rounded up to the nearest whatever. So like I'm good either way, right? Like I'm giving a little bit extra towards the thing. Last winter this time, the number that I heard while I was praying was 17% of our gross salary. Yeah, unsettling. But I wrote it down on the card, dropped it in the offering, and I pledged it. And then I grumbled about the catch-up that I had to play to finish the year that I was in. <laughs> but I made a promise to God last winter that I was going to give faithfully every month. No matter what, at the first of the month, I'm going to give. And that I would be disciplined in my giving. Now, this is a little bit about me. Discipline is something that I lack and something that I need in my walk. Now, this is why I married Jess. I've always gotten by on my charm and charisma. <laughs> Jess keeps me in line because she doesn't care about my charm or charisma. Uh, <laughs> I need her in my life. Discipline works in a way that the effects are not enjoyed until you go through a fair amount of painful repetition. Action first. Pay off later. This year was the first year I was disciplined in my giving. Every month, at the beginning of the month, the very first Sunday, I gave one-twelfth of my total, and I never questioned it. A couple of months, I dipped into savings. I didn't question it. This past summer, I got into a car accident. I had to pay a deductible. I had to replace a few things. I didn't question it. I forced myself to give. And a lot of people just do automatic pay at the beginning of the month. I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to be disciplined because I need it. This is something I need, and everyone is different. I need to do the action 12 times a year because it keeps me in check. It's like going to the gym. You don't want to do it. And the first few times leave you sore and regretting it. But once the habit is formed, it's something you look forward to. If you get nothing else out of my talk, I want you to get this. Money is necessary for life. But it isn't important. And if the money you have is precious to you, it means you think you did something to get it. That's the lie. That is the lie. Well, this is mine. Or I earned this, so I get to decide what to do with it. How many of you are parents? If you hear your kids saying stuff like that to their siblings, what do you do? You say, stop. No, actually, it's mine. Right? Those are comments that when I hear my children say them, they get disciplined. Those were feelings I had that needed to be disciplined. And through what seems like constant discipline with my children, they eventually adopt the philosophy that everything is a gift, so share what you have. Well, I didn't know I needed that kind of discipline in my life, but I did. And this year, by the end of the summer, I had achieved some success as an actor, as an acting teacher as well. I was blessed with extra money this year that we didn't count on. It was not enough to make the 10% even, but it was enough to live without fear. And it was enough to get me into the habit of saying, this isn't mine, it's his. When money's precious to us, we cling to it. It's precious, we don't want to give it away. And we look at people, we compare ourselves to people that have more money and we go, they have a superpower. They get to give money because they have it in abundance. What happened to me by the end of the summer is that if I saw a need, I would just meet it. Because it's not mine anyway. I'm going to help you out. What a blessing. When money can be power, when you can be empowered by what you have. All I want to say is living without fear where money was concerned and just giving what I gave every month without fail 
the payoff was worth it. And in pledging for next year, I'm looking forward with anticipation of what God's going to do with my life, not my money, but my life as a result, as opposed to feeling obligated and annoyed by a commitment I make. Please prayerfully consider what God wants to push you in next year. It's not about giving 17% of your gross. It's not it. We all need discipline in a certain area or more. Pray about what that is. Pray about what that looks like. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be money. Pray what that is. Pray what God wants from you for next year. Thanks. The passage that uh, the Philippians 4 ends with is, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we've watched the riches of your grace grab people and grab their hearts. Show them that there is a totally different way to live. We've watched the riches of your grace be poured out on young men and young women who came to Skyline and their whole lives, they thought they had to do it on their own and they had to do it focused on themselves. And it just wasn't working. We've watched couples, we've watched... singles, single moms, single dads find this love and these riches. I want to pray for our church that we never ever fall in love with money. I want to pray that we never measure our success based on money or buildings or stuff. Lord, we want to grow in what it means to give cheerfully, trusting in your promises more than we trust in the promises that money makes. In your name we pray.